Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, again, good morning, and, and I, wanna, I do want to emphasize what they were talking about. Journey Groups, I think, is just an incredible opportunity. I've been blessed uh, each time, and it's just a great way to connect and get involved. You know, our faith journey is not something that just happens automatically. It's what you invest in it, and especially as we invest in it alongside others, God has a real opportunity to work in our lives through us and through us into others' lives as well. It's a two-way street. So I hope you will look at that. There are lots of great studies, uh, um, and, and it's a great opportunity. Whether that or serving, uh, in particular, uh, with our Gateway Kids or something else like that, you know, they're, they're just co- connecting points, and they're, and they're ways of helping you, because every time you and I connect, it, it gives God another place to work in our lives, to help us grow, to help us experience His love and grace, and transmit that through us to others. So this morning we're um, wrapping up this series, uh, Mythbusters, and, and I want to begin with a story I heard about. A couple of scientists were together and they had discovered how to do cloning and they challenged God. They said, God, we don't need you anymore. We can make life by ourselves now. And uh, God said, okay, then let's have a man-making contest. And, and they said, great. We'd love to do that, just like you did in the very beginning. And so they proceed to reach down to grab a handful of dirt to begin when they hear God's voice from heaven say, get your own dirt. Well, you know, in our world today, it just seems like sometimes there is a lot of contention between science and faith. And I want us to think about that this morning. One, is it, is it really there? Is it true? Or have we, in fact, allowed the exceptions to kind of hog our attention? As we wrap up this series, we're, we've been looking at statements and beliefs in the Christian world that, that are often readily accepted. And yet, as we've seen over these last several weeks, Many of these statements are either corruptions of of what the Bible actually teaches or, in fact, aren't in the Bible at all. And unfortunately, we can buy into some of these statements sometimes with the best of intentions and yet end up hurting another person or even ourselves. And and this is often the case with people who who struggle with, with this area of science. If science and faith are actually opposed it, it has perhaps driven some people away from the faith. And, and we'd have to say, if they are in fact opposed, many of you in here who work in science or engineering fields are working in the wrong place, if, if it's true. But is it true, or has the media tended to hype a few situations, a few cases, because that's how they get our attention, that's how they sell their product, and overlook the vast majority of settings. And I think it's particularly important here as we are in the early years of the 21st century when change and, and through science and technology is happening so rapidly all around us. And, and here we are living just miles from the home of NASA's manned space flight center. So 
I think it's significant. And, and for me, it, personally, it's important because as long as I can remember, I've, I've been interested in science. I, I've, I've enjoyed it. I have, have read it and studied it. And in fact, I have a degree in mechanical engineering. And, and yet, I also experienced a genuine calling by God to ministry. And, and I know I have not always had the answers to every situation. And in fact, sometimes there aren't answers. But at the same time, I have found that science and faith often combine in these incredible and beautiful ways that illuminate God's creation, that make it come alive, that help me to see things and understand things that otherwise may have been trivialized by me or, or others. King David looked at all of this 3,000 years ago and, and said this in Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. I mean, I read just that, and all of a sudden, I'm struck by that. How often have we been out in the night sky? Or uh, I, earlier this year, my family did vacation in, in Big Bend. And at nighttime, you would get out in this gorgeous creation, and you would look up at the stars, and it was just amazing. Or sometimes even here at the church on a Sunday evening, we're doing baptisms or whatever, and the sun is setting over there in the west. And I look and I think, oh my gosh, God, you are incredible. This is beautiful. This is amazing. And, and David says day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the universe. He says the universe around us proclaims God's glory. And I agree. It, it, it points us to one greater than ourselves who created all there is. And, and as I see it, science helps us to see and understand more of what God did. And the more we understand all that he has done, whether it's through Jesus on the cross or in his infinite creation, the more in awe and wonder and reverence we hold him. And yet, Rice University released a study earlier this year titled Religious Understanding is of Science, Science, which found that only 38% of the public of the general public believes that science and religion can work in collaboration. Uh, that to me is somewhat disturbing. So there is at least some truth to the idea that Christianity and science are opposed to each other, at least according to, in fact, a lot of people in our country today. Maybe, maybe some of you have held that belief. But sociologist Elaine Howard Eklund, who conducted the study, found that nearly 50% of evangelical Christians do believe that they can work together and while on any given Sunday, 20% of the American public attends a, a worship service in church, on that same given Sunday, 18% of scientists attend worship. Uh, virtually the same. Um, so many of the most famous historical figures who influenced science considered themselves Christians, such as Copernicus, Galileo, Kepler, Newton, Boyle. And some of us, those names may only be the names of space telescopes. But there was somebody that went before them. And they were real, godly men who believed in Jesus Christ. 
In the 20th century, 65.5% of Nobel Prize laureates identified themselves as Christian, including 72.5% in chemistry and 65.3% in physics. In fact, as I looked at the list, the interesting thing is the, the, the group that had the lowest percentage was in literature was just over 40%. I don't, I don't know exactly what that says, but I um, thought that was interesting. And yet, we have to admit that other studies have shown about 60% of scientists today believe, say that they either don't believe or aren't sure that God exists. And yet, studies tend to show that it was not science that turned scientists into doubters, but in fact, their own family backgrounds, what they grew up in that had the greatest influence. And yet, a lot of folks get caught up in things like Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos, beautiful documentary on Fox and other channels earlier this year, and yet it did seem to highlight these science-faith conflicts or the debate between Bill Nye, the science guy, and Ken Ham of the Creation Museum. Uh, atheist and scientist Richard Dawkins has described the idea of God as a very naive, childish concept. And, and he's not alone. There are others who have made similar kinds of comments. But the truth is, for most of the history of, that we have lived since Christianity was founded, there have been few, very few conflicts. In fact, for every conflict, there are hundreds of areas where there is no conflict, there's no controversy at all, including many areas of biology and chemistry and physics. In fact, in many of these areas, scientists have helped us to see with even greater clarity the wonder of God and all that he has done. As we start to dig in and see the levels of complexity and see the, how cool some of this stuff is and how it works itself out. And the truth is, we, many of us probably don't realize this, but Christianity actually helped establish modern science. In medieval, medieval Europe, men began to pursue a knowledge about the world around them in, in new and unique ways. They did that because they believed that God was both creator of everything and he was a lawgiver. He gave moral law, and they there extrapolated that to mean that there were physical laws, that there were laws of, of our nature. Now, you and I sort of take that for granted. We, most of us have had some kind of science course somewhere in, in, in school along the way, and we've heard of certain kinds of, of scientific laws. And, and yet we don't realize that that was not taken for granted a few hundred years ago. And as these... Er First, men began looking at the world around them. They, they said they could not help but see some evidence of, of intelligent design at work in the world. And these, these early scientists believed that God's faithfulness could be trusted to enable them to make reliable observations of the physical world around them and trust that they would be consistent because God had, from the beginning, brought order out of chaos. I mean, imagine, what good is science if, if observations and experiments are not consistent? What good is it if you perform a, an experiment and you get one result this time and you get a totally opposite result the next time? And there's no correlation. Can, can you deduce any observations? Can you, can you come to any conclusions about the world around you? See, what these early men discovered was that because God was a lawgiver who brought chaos, order out of chaos, that he could be trusted 
when they saw observations that were consistent, that he could be trusted that he created the world that way, and therefore men and women could begin to understand the world and how it worked and how it operated. And you and I could trust, for instance, that gravity is a constant in our setting. Or we'd have seatbelts in the seats. Because if you and I never knew when gravity was going to come or go, be kind of awkward to be sitting there one minute and then start drifting out of your seat, you know? And it can be, it can be really bad when it turns back on. You know what I'm saying? It'd be kind of painful if you hit the top of the seat. Oh, that's not good. So, you know, here are these men who, who, who believe that there were, in fact, there are laws of physics, laws of chemistry, just as there are laws in the Bible, because God created... And he created both types of laws. And there's a consistency there, and there is a, a reality that give, gave them confidence to study creation. Now, we take those laws for granted today, but this was a new and striking thought that opened the door to modern science centuries ago, and belief in God himself made that step easier to take. And we don't think about that. There's several ways to look at how science and faith could, have, could interact. And theologian and physicist and Anglican priest John Polkenhorne came up with, with four, four ways. There are other ways to divide the pie, but this is how he said it. He said the first way is conflict. Conflict. In other words, atheist scientists like Richard Dawkins declare that science and religion are at war, that they inherently disagree and... His belief is that science will ultimately win the war. At the other end of the spectrum are a few Christians who reject much of science and, and fight the battle from the other direction. But the truth is, there isn't nearly as much conflict as the extremes talk about. Christianity provided much of the basis, basis of modern science, and many successful scientists have held and still do religious beliefs without getting caught in conflict about faith and science. So a second model of interaction is independence. That they're separate, they, they operate in different realms, they, they, they don't overlap, and they ask different kinds of questions about the world around us. Science tries asks the how questions, and, and faith asks the why questions. The problem here is that throughout history, many scientists have been motivated by their faith, by their religious beliefs, and it's hard to imagine that the two are completely separate and independent. They may ask different questions, but still they are both observing one creation, one world. Which brings a third model, fusion, where the, the lines between science and and faith are, are eliminated and they overlay each other. And folks in this model use the content of science to determine the content of religious belief and vice versa. And yet the danger here is that each one of them can become the slave of the other and there's no good way to actually integrate them. And so the final model that Polkenhorn gives us is complementary or dialogue. And here faith and science both provide complementary insights into reality, into our world today, and yet they look at it from different perspectives. Most of the time, they don't overlap. Concerns about the molecular bonds in chemistry are typically not a concern 
in our faith world, and, and questions of how and why are typically not a concern in, in the science world in the same kind of way. Both of them are looking at God's creation from different angles. And when they don't see eye to eye, there's opportunity to dialogue, to try to discover new ways of seeing the world around us that allows both viewpoints to, to find common ground. Because again, we are talking about one creation made by one God. Often, faith and science address different questions about our world and our life. It's, and it's important to realize that faith doesn't address a lot of answers that science addresses. But likewise, science isn't the only way to gain knowledge about the world around us, and sometimes it can't even give us answers. For instance, again, Polkenhorn tells us there's more than one answer to this question. Why is the water boiling in the tea kettle? Now, a scientific answer might be the water is boiling because at this temperature it undergoes a phase transition from liquid to vapor. That's why it's boiling. But another equally acceptable but non-scientific answer might be, well, the water is boiling because I put a kettle on the stove. Or the water is boiling because I have a friend coming over and I want to serve them tea. Now, is either of those any less wrong than the scientific answer? No. They're all three right in what they address. They're all three accurate. And yet they are all looking at the question, the issue, from different perspectives. And while the scientific answer is correct, it sure doesn't tell the whole story, does it? Science is good at understanding the physical world, but it cannot answer questions like, is my friend trustworthy? Is this poem well written? In fact, try to ask a scientist about a poem and they may have a conniption fit. Or, what's the purpose of my life? Likewise, science can, cannot ultimately answer the question, does God exist? Now, I know there are some who claim they can. But science can only deal with the natural world, not the supernatural. We have no means of measuring the supernatural. We have no means of conducting experiments that are consistent. No amount of testing or theorizing can prove or disprove God's existence. That's really important. And yet, at the same time, neither does the Bible tell us anything about protons or photosynthesis or penguins or Pluto. It's not that one's right and the other's wrong. It's that they're looking at different aspects of creation for different reasons. And yet the beauty of science is that at times it can point us back to our creator in ways we could never see through theology. For instance, and I, I was doing so much reading this week, and there were so many cool examples, but this is one of the ones that really struck me. One of the most striking things science has shown us concerns what is called the fine-tuning of, of the universe, or sometimes called the anthropic principle. And depending on how you talk to, scientists will tell you there's somewhere between 50 and 150 fundamental numbers or physical constants 
Now, some of you, as soon as I say the word physical constant, you're getting real nervous because you heard of a constant once in math or science, and it was not a great experience. And you would rather not deal with it again. And you thought, I came to church just so I would not hear about theorems and constants and all that. Okay, bear with me. You don't have to know the constant. You don't have to work it out this morning. All right? There's, gonna, there's not going to be a test on that. But it is important to understand that scientists have discovered that, that depending again on who you talk to, between 50 and 150 of these in our universe must be precisely fine-tuned for human life to even exist. For instance, physicist Paul Davies calculated that a change in electromagnetism of only one part in 10 to the 40th power. Now that's not just 40 times 10. That's 10 times 10 times 10 times 10, 40 times. I mean, that, that gets real big. When you start talking about numbers like that, millions and billions and even trillions don't even begin to add into a number that large. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's incredibly huge. And yet, if only one in 10 to the 40th power change in electromagnetism had occurred, it would have made it impossible for stars to form Meaning if there are no stars, there are no planets, there's no human life. A change in gravity of only 1 in 10 to the 100th power. That's 10 to the 40th power times 10, 60 more times. That's an even more astronomically, obscenely huge number that is beyond any of our comprehension. I mean, you could, you could start writing the number 10 times 10 or the 10 with the zeros and you would go on and on and on. We couldn't even, I can't even represent it in a room this size. If, if that change in gravity had occurred, it would have prevented planets from having stable orbits around the sun, making life impossible. A minute change in the electric charge of an electron would mean stars could not burn hydrogen and helium to produce the chemical elements of carbon and oxygen which make up our bodies. In fact, Davies calculates that in order for planets to exist, just to exist, the relevant conditions had to be fine-tuned to a precision of one part in ten followed by a thousand billion billion zeros at least. We can't even represent on our screen. We couldn't represent, if we filled this thing, with this room with type on a piece of paper, we couldn't even represent that many zeros. Astronomer and former atheist Fred Hoyle wrote, I do not believe that any scientist who examined the evidence would fail to draw the inference that the laws of nuclear physics, physics have been deliberately designed with regard to the consequences they produce inside stars. Robin Collins, an American physicist with numerous doctorates in mathematics, physics, and philosophy, wrote, The extraordinary fine-tuning of the laws and constants of nature, their beauty, their discoverability, their intelligibility, all of this combines to make the God hypothesis the most reasonable choice we have. All other theories fall short. All other theories. Now, th this is a guy... These are guys who were atheists who set out to figure some of this out and the information was so overwhelming 
They were left with no choice. Now, there's, there are areas where there are lots of questions and even disagreement. For instance, around whether the universe and the earth evolved or created, and if created, how that occurred. Even among committed evangelical Christians, there are a few different ways that Genesis 1 and 2 are understood to reflect how God created from the earth being less than 10,000 years old to being billions of years old. And it's a worthwhile conversation. It's not one we were, are gonna, I'm going to address this morning because it's really a whole topic message of its own. We'll save it for another day. But many Christians who are scientists believe by faith that God created. In January 2005, Oxford atheist and scientist Richard Dawkins was publicly asked what he believed to be true but could not prove. Believed to be true, but he couldn't prove it. And this is a particularly interesting question because Dawkins is on record as having said that we should not believe anything without evidence. And yet this is his answer. He writes, I believe, but I cannot prove that all life, all intelligence, all creativity, and all design anywhere in the universe is the direct or indirect product of Darwinian natural selection. In other words, even being an atheist takes faith. I want you to think about that for a minute. It takes faith. And the question becomes... Does it take more faith to believe, for instance, that there is a God and he created this universe or that this universe came together as a matter of completely random chance? I want to tell you, when I start hearing the, some of the numbers I shared with you, some of it, I know for some of you, well, there's numbers, oh, what are these? But, but for some of us, who have dealt with numbers, those are incredibly profound numbers. And the reality is, as I see it and as others through the centuries have seen it, is that belief in God is always a matter of faith. And the real question is not about God's existence, can it be proved or disproved, but rather what takes more faith to believe he does exist or to believe he doesn't. It's interesting, if you start to look back over the last hundred years, you see people like Elise Strobel or Josh McDowell or Oxford Don scientist C.S. Lewis who all had a period in their lives where they were atheists, who all had a period of lives where they then set out they were adamant atheists, and so they wanted to prove that, that we Christians were wrong. They set out to disprove and in each of those cases, they became deeply committed followers of Jesus Christ. In some of the most profound books written over the last century. I mean, C.S. Lewis is one of the great minds of the 20th century period of any field. It's incredible. But these guys aren't the only ones. For Doing some reading this week, I came across this story. For more than half a century, philosopher Anthony Flew was the most noted atheist in the world until he shocked the intellectual world in 2004 by publicly announcing he had changed his mind and was now professing faith in God. 
as a philosopher, Fluid always said he would follow the evidence. He would go wherever the evidence led him. And, and toward the end of his life, it led him to argue that atheism is not logical. Fluid died in 2010, maintaining belief in God, although he did not ever profess faith in Jesus Christ. In his book, There is a God, Flew reflects on an argument regarding the probability of human origin. It's something he'd had to deal with in his earlier years. The argument runs something like this. Given enough time and chance, life on planet Earth could have just happened without God's design. Researchers trying to prove this provide the example of time plus chance equal life. And, and there's a, that theory has a well-known experiment that proposes the following question. How long would it take for an infinite number of monkeys pounding on an infinite number of typewriters to compose a sonnet by Shakespeare? Now, believe it or not, the British National Council of the Arts actually did an experiment based somewhat on that. And Christian apologist Rabbi Zacharias offered the following summary of the actual experiment. A computer was placed in a cage with six monkeys. And after one month of hammering away at the keys... The monkeys had produced 50 typed pages and not one single word. Now, you may be thinking of words like the, and, big, golly. But they did not even produce one letter words like I or A. And a one-letter word is distinguished by having a space before it and after it. In a completely random exercise, through 50 pages, monkeys did not create even a one-letter word. Flew pointed out that the possibility of getting a one-letter word is one in 27,000, he said. If these attempts could not result in even one one-letter word, what is the possibility of getting just the first line of one of Shakespeare's sonnets, let alone the whole sonnet. See, for Flew, Antony Flew, the entire universe, which of course is infinitely more complex than a Shakespearean sonnet, could not have just happened. He realized that you will never get a sonnet, much less the entire works of Shakespeare, or for that matter, the entire universe, by just allowing enough time and chance. And so Flew, quoting a contemporary scientist, said, some people still contend that the monkeys can do it every time. Again, I'll ask you, which takes more faith? Rebbe Zacharias concludes, for Flew, the sheer improbability that such an intricate design as we have in the universe is the product of mindless evolution is insurmountable. The universe must have purpose and design behind it. And this sheer improbability caused Flew's arguments for atheism to crack, eventually crumble, and he came to faith. Now listen, guys, the issue here is not absolute proof. Because even atheists are operating by faith in their lack of of belief in God. The issue is, which approach takes more faith? Which faith, which approach is more reasonable? 
Because if God exists, there are a whole host of things it says about us and how we live. I would suggest to you that it takes more faith to believe God does not exist than he does. And the question for us is, what do we believe? What do you believe personally? Because here's the thing. What you believe, what I believe, it, 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 it has implications then for how we live our life. If you were with us last week, we said that true belief, faith or trust, goes beyond belief in existence because if God exists, then there are a lot of things it says about us and how we are to live our lives. That our life is not simply about occasionally acknowledging that God exists. If he is real, if he exists, if he created us, if all of life is in fact grace and a gift, faith then means we act on that belief. Not just by coming to church, but in fact how we live our lives each day, all day, all throughout our day. The Christian faith is not simply a group of beliefs that, that we acknowledge, but it is a lifestyle that we live as we seek to honor God, that he loves us, he is with us all throughout our day, trusting that Jesus Christ is in fact the ultimate revelation of who God is and that his spirit lives in us to help us on this journey to trust him and follow him more. For those of us who have come to recognize that, then belief is not some strange option. In fact, belief is incredibly rational. Faith is incredibly rational. You, you don't have to check your brains at the door to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And yes, some of us have encountered individuals who will tell us that's the case, who, who think they're smarter than us. But here's the thing. There are people smarter than them who have come to the conclusion that it takes more faith to believe God does not exist than that he does. So where are you? For those of you who want to explore some more on, in your notes, uh, on the back side, I've got additional resources. I've got a number of websites listed there. Um, I didn't check out all of them. And, and I know that's not all of them. There are more. But there are websites there, and below that are some books that if you want to dig more, if you want to dig into the basic questions, or if you want to dig deeper into the reality of it all. There are people who have thought about this stuff a lot more than, than probably most of us in this room. And they've shared those ideas in, in web, on websites and in books. The, the discussion that we're having this morning centers around a field that's called a Christian, Christian apologetics, which is a field of Christian theology which attempts to present a rational basis for the Christian faith, defending the faith against objections. But here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Apostle Peter said. If someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Now here's the thing. You and I don't have to have scientific proofs to explain our faith. You and I have stories where God has worked in our lives. And the beauty of those stories is nobody can say my story is wrong. My story is my story. How I've experienced God is my experience. And no one can disprove that. They may disagree with how I interpret it, but they cannot disprove what I have been through. So sometimes we think to talk to somebody or to share our story or our faith means that I've got to know all this stuff 
No, all you have to know is your story. God can work through that. That's enough in talking with someone else. I, I know that faith in, in Christ is not an issue for many of us in here this morning, but, but how we live out that faith very well may be, which is why we do everything from encouraging you to have daily time with God, because God wants time with you. He created you for that to offering you journey groups, to engage in the journey with others and to learn and, and have community with others, to encouraging you to serve within the walls of the church as well as beyond the walls of the church as a way of connecting and putting your faith into action. These are not optional things. These are what followers of Jesus do because they recognize that in this incredible creation, I am here, and, and there is no reason I am here except by the grace of God. That before the beginning of time, we believe, God saw your life, intended for you to be born, and gave your life purpose and meaning that no one and nothing can take away from you. You can give it up, but no one can take it away from you. Your life matters. You are important. There are some things in this world that God created you for that there's nobody else to do. It doesn't mean he doesn't have other ways to work it out, but his intention was first and foremost through you. And when you look and say, well, somebody else will do it, or somebody else will give it, or somebody else will talk about it, you may in fact be breaking the heart of God who created you. You are a wondrous creation. Just imagine, there has never been anyone else like you. That's what a kind of an incredible God we have. He didn't make a bunch of clones. He didn't make us like anybody else. There's no two of us that are even close to being alike. You are unique. You are special. You are one of a kind. And God says he has, in effect, your, hand written on, your name written on the back of his hand. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He goes with you. He knows the garbage you hear and the things sometimes you even think. And he says, but my son came for you and died on the cross for you. That's how much I love and care about you. And nothing and no one can take that from you. You can give it away, but no one can take that from you. At the same time, there's some of you that maybe it's time to stop fighting faith. Many of the greatest minds of history have reached the conclusion that it is reasonable and, in fact, wise to place a faith, our faith in a God through Jesus Christ. And my question for some of you is, is that, that today your time? Maybe it's time, finally, to stop fighting, to stop battling an incredible mountain of evidence that says you are somebody God created and he loves you. Our prayer team is going to be down here in just a moment and they would love to talk with you about that, to help you nail that decision down. We believe, in fact, it is the single most important decision any human being will ever make. Because it's the only decision you and I can make that then impacts eternity. Every other decision plays itself out between now and the time we die. But that decision, that decision affects forever. And I hope you make that decision if you haven't already. Because I know God 
We would love for you to do that today. You can even get baptized next Sunday evening as a way to signify to the world this turning point, this life-changing decision you have made. Guys, ultimately, belief in God, faith in Jesus Christ, is not some bogus endeavor. It's not something for people who are weak or need a crutch. It is, in fact, the most reasonable, reasoned way to view life. And yet the beauty of it is it's so much more than that. It is so much more. He's incredible. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much that you created us, that we are not some kind of random goo. That there is, in fact, method and purpose in everything you have done. And our lives have meaning. Not because we just accidentally showed up here on earth, but because you created us. Father, help us to think through the implications of that. May they affect how I live my day today. May I see your world with greater awe and wonder. May I recognize that my life really does matter. And what I say, what I do makes a difference. Thank you, Father, for loving us that much. That you elected to create this universe. And in that moment, chose also to create us. That sometimes we feel infinitesimally small, God. But in your eyes, I believe Jesus would have died just for me or any one of us if we were the only person you ever created. I believe that is how much you love us. May we live out that love, that individuality, that purposefulness. May we go after it with every ounce of our being, Father. Today, tomorrow, the rest of our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You are not goo. Go and make a difference. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.